I am so grateful for the work of our worship team. I know it's more than uh, singing when it comes to worship, but singing is a great way to open heaven's gates for us, isn't it? Okay, I got to get a little organized up here. We are going into a new series now. Um, I love this slide, So Who Am I?, uh, created by Brad Leenstra, our son-in-law, so of course I love it even more. Um, it's built off of, the, the theme that we're going into is built off of the last uh, semester's whole series, and that was when Jesus said, I am. There's sort of a logical connection between when Jesus said, I am, to the so what? Like, so so what? What's, what about it? Where does it come home? Where does the rubber hit the road? What does this mean to me? So who am I in light of all of these different claims? I have a few books up here that I'll be referring to because um, I, I need to make the statement that much of what I'm saying is not original. In fact, I doubt any of it is, but there we go. Um, and as we can transition, we want to think about, okay, what does it mean, my identity? Now, there is a, it is really a hot topic, isn't it, my identity? Who do I want to identify as? Who do I, you know, all of this kind of stuff. That is so reductionist. What we want to do is say, who am I in the great cosmic question? Who am I truly? Not reductionist by our culture, but who am I in the eyes of God and in light of what Jesus has claimed? We have so much to learn here. I doubt we'll scratch the surface, but hopefully it um, hits an itch in your life. So here we are transitioning from when Jesus said I am to uh, so who am I? That's our series for this semester. Also new this semester, we're going to be um, allowing, you know, Peter Wheatley, my good friend, I salute you, Peter. Thank you for your work for all of us, especially for the students. But uh, Peter has been trying to say, can, you, can we make chapel a little more interesting, maybe even more interactive? And, and so we're going to try um, bringing in Q&A uh, occasionally. I'm going to make some time at the end of this. It just means we'll go to 1130. It'll be fine. Um, but uh, there's a number up there that you can text a question into. I'm told we have also, I don't know, four or five dozen people online. You're welcome to text your friends and say you can join us for chapel anytime, at least the Tuesday chapel. And then, of course, this is posted later. So people are welcome to join us, and people online can text in. And we're also, during Q&A, we'll have a hot mic. And, of course, first time around, you all may be going, that is kind of weird, I don't know what to do. And we may get no questions, and then we'll be done by 10.45. So um, it's up to you how long we go, maybe. Not, not entirely. But, you know, there's a text. It's going to be on the bottom of all of our slides this morning. Thank you, Andrew, for setting that up. And those of you online are able to, to text in questions. I don't presume that I have the answers uh, for all of your questions, but you may find out how ignorant I truly am. And in the midst of all of the brilliance that we have in the room, we may find the answers that I don't have. Um, Q&A for me is also an opportunity to comment. In other words, quite often people want to sort of add a point or emphasize a point that's been made and they try and position it as a question. In fact, it's not a question, so let's not act like that. Let's just say the A stands for um, any of your comments as well, uh, sort of agreeing or disagreeing and that kind of thing. So um, that's where we're going this semester. Not every uh, week we'll have um, Q&A, but we'll try to get it in sort of whenever a speaker is willing to do that. Okay. 
Um, I listened to a podcast over the vacation by um, The Meeting House in Toronto. It is one of my favorite podcast sources. Uh, a, pastor headed, a church headed up by a pastor named Rexy Cavey, who I have a huge bias in favor of. He's, he's both something of a personal friend and I think a tremendous philosopher and theologian. Um, if we could afford him, we would bring him here. Uh, but it, you know, it's able to, we're able to get him online. Now, the Meeting House hosted um, a speaker for the very last um, Sunday of the year, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. Now, Dr. Hayhoe is a, a professor at Texas Tech. Um, she is a science professor, and her, her podcast was tremendous. She, um, she has been called um, the champion for the earth by the United Nations. Like, wow, that's cool. I'd like a title like that. Uh, she has been called one of the most influential 100 people in the world by Newsweek. This is a woman to listen to. And she's a profound believer. She is absolutely convinced about creation. In fact, one of the lines, and I invite you to go and listen to it. It's well worth the 30 or 45 minutes um, to listen to it. But it, she's, she's making a case for studying creation to learn about the creator's work. I'm going to take that one step further and say we need to study creation. We need to, each of us in our own way, whether it's as novices and lay people or as professional scientists, to be scientists to understand creation, if only to understand the Almighty. Because Paul said it really well in Romans chapter 1, and that is, he said... Um, uh, let's just see if I can find this verse. I can't read it back there. I need to get new glasses. Since the creation of the world, okay, since the beginning of creation, God's invisible qualities, meaning his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been said, what has been made. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made. In other words, creation, in, in Catherine's words, is one of God's greatest gifts to us. God's greatest gift. He gave us, yes, Jesus, and we're tremendously grateful for that. Yes, he gave us the Holy Spirit, and yes, he gave us the scriptures, and probably it's in this order that we need to think of what, what are his greatest gifts. But she would argue that creation actually trumps the Bible because it was his original revelation. And as we study it, we learn more and more about him. We see his invisible character. So I want to just think about creation itself first before we talk about our place in this cosmic setting. So a reflection of the Almighty, what is that about? Well, um, truly, God would want to tell us about his love. And I think we're going to see that in creation. You're going, yeah, that's weird. Wait. And truly, he's going to tell us about his light. And now that I've already crossed over because it really is about his truth. And we've commingled those in our English um, language. But um, we can see that light was a very important part of creation, one of the first steps, his truth. And then life, which is abundant and all around us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And then he added light. And that was just beginning of the whole process. I need to get my notes together here. I've got all these verses written out so I won't get lost. But here I am. Ah, yes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let there be light, day one. Let there be sky, day two, gravity. As he separated the water from the air. Gravity. I think that's the best picture of love. How do you define gravity? Well, it's the attraction between... Here, I got a picture of the Milky Way off the internet. Um, That's just a lovely picture. Looks like the guy called it a, a bit of a Pringle. Potato chip, um, you know that's that's just a lovely picture of what God did. And then actually in there you can see this little star where the um, photographer astronomer was sp- speculating on where Earth would be in this whole thing. Here we are, in the middle of this enormous enormous picture. And of course, if you want to enjoy nature, I don't know what your favorite place in nature is, but some of you like to just go out and lie in the fields and look at the dark sky and see all of those amazing stars. I don't know. What is your favorite place in nature? Is it in the mountains? When I drive through the mountains, I can't help but think about these beautiful mountains. And every time I go through, wow, I'm going, he did a good job. Wow, he did a good job. Aren't these mountains spectacular? Now, that sort of hits me. Others of you are, are, are forest people. And you just love the whisper of the winds and the clapping of the leaves through the trees. And that's your connection to nature. And others of you are um, ocean-type people or lake-type people or river-type people. I want you to kind of sit in that space. Whatever is your favorite point in nature. And imagine what there is. I put in this slide about gravity to, to sort of show this attraction. Gravity is defined as um, the attraction between two bodies of mass. It's a scientific description. But isn't that a good description of love? The attraction between two bodies of people, bodies of mass. And if you take it even further, then you, the scientific proof is that the larger the mass, the greater the attraction. To illustrate God's size, I believe he gave us the universe. This is reflection of his mass. Oh, and it keeps growing, they say. He's continuing to create as the, the universe continues to expand or our, vis, vis, our visibility of it or our understanding of the universe. It looks like it's continuing to expand. This is a reflection, I believe, of the eternal nature of our God, ever, ever growing. So we've got light reflecting his truth, we've got uh, gravity reflecting his love, and then we've got this hilarious presence of life. God didn't just produce fish in the sea, he produced all kinds of fish, right? Uncountable fish. What does that reflect? The enormous Um, facets of the God who created. And we go on from that to um, all kinds of, uh, you know, I I love this picture. We were actually on this this, uh, whale-watching cruise. It was an inflatable um, sort of boat that held a couple dozen people, sort of a large inflatable. But my goodness, 
Um, that was taken from our boat. Now, I don't think we took that picture. That was the photographer on the back, but it was close. And that guy would have been bigger than our boat. Um, so it was very, very cool to be able to see this one of Earth's giants, one of Earth's mammoths, um, right there beside us. We were on another trip, um, so I, I'm kind of bragging here, but, uh, you know, <laughs> try to get over it. <laughs> I'm, I'm over it already. Um, but we were, we were on the East Coast for a meeting, Elaine and I together, and, and uh, we decided to head out to, to, I think it was Chesapeake Bay, um, and uh, we booked a little sort of two-hour or something like that boat ride through the... Um, the, the swamps. And this guy said, I'll take you out to see some osprey. Now, I did take this picture. I did not have it zoomed in. In fact, if I could have zoomed out, I might have gotten his wingtips. He's about six feet, maybe eight, eight, uh, two to three meters from us. And he's in the air and he's coming in. The only good news was that I had the awning of the boat right above me. I was standing up with my head just inside the awning and I'm taking this picture of this osprey who is not happy with us. But you think about the number of birds there are in the world. You know, there's a, there's a bird watcher movie out. It's, it's, you know, one of those great movies, but I need to keep moving. But it, the, the point is there is a, an enormous number of animals that God created. And then he brings it all together with water and air to give us life, plant life out of our minds from seaweeds to giant red deer, uh, red, red Giant, what are they called? Redwood cedars. From um, ants to anacondas to condors. From tiniest things to all of these other things. And then in the middle of it, he put us, oh yeah, it's got a circle. There are some people swimming there in that lake. And he dropped us in there. I think that as God finished his creation, he looked at it going, great. We built a, a lovely erector set. It's missing something. What's it missing? It needs, it needs our voice. It needs our control. It needs our care for creation. And so God dropped his image. And we are each image bearers. We are each part of his plan for looking after the, the planet I am made in the image of God. And that's my first point. Genesis 1, verse 26. It's a remarkable, remarkable verse. And I'd like to just read this whole section here, Genesis 1, 26. And if I may, I'd like to ask you to stand as we read this. In respect for this ancient text. We're going to read about five verses. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Small aside, that's what we believe is the foundation of the human race. We believe that's the definition from the Bible of um, the appropriate marriage, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. So that's job number one, make babies. And I want to say this for those of you who are going to be married, not everyone will be, 
And that's also very good. But for those of you who are going to be married, choose now to love your partner, your mate, your spouse for the rest of your life. Fall in love with the man or woman of your youth. And remember them because it gets better. I, I probably shouldn't say this with, with Elaine in the room, and I probably shouldn't say it if she's not. But, um, you know, the idea that, that I might love her now as much as I loved her when um, we got married, yeah, we'd probably be divorced. Um, because the love grows. And stay faithful. Stick with them. Good times and bad. It's very good. Okay, I'll just say this really quick and then we'll move on. And the sex gets better too. Okay. <laughs> then God said, Okay, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. We're going to talk about what that means. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. Bad news for those of you who are beef eaters. We were originally meant to be... Um, vegetarians. And I suspect in the new earth we'll be back to vegetarians. And it was so. God saw that all he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. Please have a seat. That's not to say we should be vegetarians. I'm sure that we're vegetarians, Elaine and I, um, once a week. Uh, you know, it's, in fact, in the days of Moses, God blessed all of the animals for, or a certain level of animals for, for uh, in the days of Noah, God blessed the animals for, for Noah to have for food. So it's not, that's not the, the biblical position. But um, originally we were vegetarians. And God gave them to rule, to have dominion on the earth. What does that mean? To dominate it? To abuse it? To take advantage? No, 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 no. To take care of it. To look after it. In the second, uh, in, in Genesis 2.15... There's more of the idea of to serve and protect creation, to take care of it. So our created, our created purpose, our created purpose originally is to look after creation, to take care of it, to help it be as productive as it could possibly be. And when God looked at it, we were dropped into it to be his living presence, his voice, his form of governance. And one wasn't enough to represent God. So we are not gods in our own. That's why I brought this book up, this amazing book, I think, by Andy Crouch, which some of you have read and, and all of us should, um, Playing God. We're not gods, but we are his voice. And we have the privilege of carrying his image here. What an amazing privilege to be his living presence, to be creative to be constructive, to be building things, whether it's cities, roads, or parks. To live together in community. Now, what I'm talking about there is the Christian uh, group, community. Those of us who are followers of Jesus. To serve and protect, to look after creation. All of us are here to do this together. And maybe when we've got 16 billion of us, we can be adequate to reflect the size of God. We can't do it alone. We each need each other. 
And God saw that everything he had made was good, and it was now very good. Now, I like to say that that's because he created women, finally got around to it. But I think it's because everything was serving its created purpose. That was what God saw, and it was perfect. It was lovely. Everything was doing. And then comes the cosmic clash. And in that clash, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, and they ate of the fruit. And then sin got its portal to enter into creation. The perfect world now had this presence of evil. Now, I think the original creation was a picture of the living God. Everything in creation in some way reflected some piece of God. And then evil came into the world. And so now... Everything in nature is a, in my view, this is not biblical, but I think it's true, that everything in nature is some form of reflection of a spiritual truth, both good and evil, here present together. So we have this cosmic clash going on, all of nature reflecting this clash. And at that point, God amped it up. Not only do I need image bearers, that's all humans, all humans. Preborn to very old. All colors of people, whether white or black or brown or red or green or whatever color of people. And it is the presence of evil that wishes to have us reduce and play supremacy. It's a terrible thing. No, no, no. Every person, healthy and sick, able-bodied and not, is an image bearer. I believe unborn and newborn and very old. All of equal value because they reflect this almighty. They are the image of God. Now he needs to amp it up and he says, I need some people who will bear my name to bring my voice to the nations. And he chose the people of Israel. So we, by virtue of his grace, have been grafted into that family. We are now bearers of his name. This is not replacement theology. This is simply part of God's plan. Remember, the new Jerusalem has 12 corners. They're the tribes of Israel and 12 gates. They're the apostles. So the tribes of Israel are part of the new Jerusalem and the gates to the new Jerusalem, the church, are all in there. Keep in mind, the apostles were all Jewish. But uh, So this isn't replacement. This is just simply we are now all invited into this. The Jewish people had the message first and they brought it to us. Thank God for the Jewish people and thank God for Jesus who brought it especially. Now, as a name bearer, some, and, and, and of course here I need to point to um, our great expert, one of the, the world's leading experts on bearing God's name, um, Dr. Carmen Imes, who wrote this book. And uh, it's a tremendous book. I'm sure I haven't read it all. I have read parts of it. Um, but... We have that resource here on, on, base, on, on campus, so I'm not going to develop that thesis, that thesis too much. But there are two points that at least come out of um, sort of the, the Exodus and the Torah period, and that is um, the, the, the Ten Commandments, you shall bear them, take the name of the Lord in vain. I think that's sort of like um, the na- that, that chair there is not taking the name of the Lord in vain either. So there's got to be more to it. We need to bear his name well. And I think that's reflected in uh, number six, 
when Aaron was being told how to bless the people. And this to me is very interesting. The Lord, this was the blessing that the priests were supposed to put on the people. For you, as you head into your ministries, wherever they are, whether they're in hospitals or airplane uh, cockpits or in, um, in, in churches and pulpits, this is the blessing with which God has given his name to the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. I think what's interesting is next. So shall you put my name on the people and I will bless them. And we need to be good carriers of that name. Ultimately, Jesus is the the true image bearer, the original mandate. And he came to restore what was lost, to reveal the Father, show us his love, to redeem creation, save us from sin, to restore the kingdom of heaven on earth, set up his kingdom. Those are two different approaches. The one on the right is is from our friend Bruxy Cavey. Um, The one on the left was sort of something else that I cobbled together. But nonetheless, they're all the same idea. To bring back the Garden of Eden to earth. To restore the kingdom of heaven on all the earth. And Jesus is the ultimate name bearer of the Almighty. He's the name above all names. He's the only way to the Father. He is the name to drop in prayer. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son. And that gives us our authority. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Keep coming back to it. It will give you access to the throne room of the universe. The name to whom all will bow, the Lord of all creation. And it's all for the glory of God the Father. So throughout our lives, we're being transformed into the image of Christ. A lot to say there. That's what this whole semester is about. That's what this whole semester is about. Therefore, I can just fly right on by. What is our response? Well, gratitude and love to God, living together as Christians in healthy community, caring for our neighbors regardless of their faith, regardless of their faith, and looking after creation. We are called to be ambassadors of the living and loving God. We are called to be stewards of his creation. In that way, we serve our created purpose coming to the Father through Christ, submitting to Jesus as Lord, giving the Holy Spirit, who's reflected in water and air and other things, of course, oil, giving the Holy Spirit absolute freedom to flow through our lives and living out the love of God for others, living out the love we have for God by living for others. Okay, let's see if there are any questions. Mark has a mic in the room. If you want to ask any, make any comments, addition, and then uh, Andrew has, I think, one. Do you uh, have a... Yes, we had one come text. We had one get texted in. Uh, so, with your new understanding of gravity in mind, what does it tell us about our faith story? It, it, the last word. What does it tell us about our faith story? Sword. Story. Story. Okay. okay excellent. Excellent. Thank you. It's a great question. What does it tell us about our faith? At least it tells us that God loved us first. We are being attracted to him by gravity, by this love. 
That much I'm sure of. I believe also there is a choice. Others believe it's simply a matter of being chosen. And if, if that's true, then I think all of humanity has been chosen. And I'm a, I'm a wishful universalist. I wish that everyone would be uh, redeemed. Uh, but I, I do think there is a choice. So I'm not actually sure about that answer. Let me try. Is there a professor or anybody who's got a better answer? Or a more complete I can usually put Glenn on the spot. I can see Kevin back there. Any other? Any? Dennis? You shouldn't be in chapel because I might call on you. <laughs> any other su- suggestions on that? What does it tell us about our faith story? I find that very interesting. That's the natural state, but can be overridden by other laws. Interesting that it can be overridden by other laws. There is the, I, I, I like that. There is the law of entropy, which is the observation of all energy re, being reduced to a less available form of energy, which is also a law of nature, right? Thermodynamics. So that is the presence of another law. That might be it. And that would suggest that there is a choice or there is activity that we need to do to turn toward this force of gravity. Any other comments? A hand. Mike has a Mark has a mic. Mike has a mark. <laughs> Say again. Our own emotion. Motion. Yes. By that you're saying walking toward or away from. Is it you right there? I can't quite see. <laughs> Am I getting your point? Yes. Our own motion around this, orbiting around this center of gravity. I like that. And we may choose to go out of that orbit. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Sir. All right. Um, You've mentioned the two books, Nature and Scripture. Right. Could you comment on the need in our culture in communicating to modern man the necessity of natural theology in communicating the truths about God and how we adjust our preaching and teaching addressed towards the young people these days? Okay, now that's a really, it's a great question because the question is, will we let nature set our theology? Is, am I correct in rephrasing? And the answer has to be no. The two have to align. I think you've got to further... Let me start with nature to address the questions that are existing in people's hearts because they don't seem to perceive any value in Scripture. Right. So, when Jesus was on earth... I think he had an unlimited supply of illustrations. He happened to choose wheat, lest it fall on the ground and die. It can't produce. You know, he simply used wheat, and now we use that as canonical. I think there are ways of reaching people with truths of Scripture that are represented in, in nature. We, you know, there is the, the, the sort of posture of sola scriptura. For sure, Scripture should be the only lens that we interpret nature, but on the other hand, we can learn a lot about Scripture by watching nature. 
So they inform one another. Thank you. I appreciate the thumbs up. And those of you who are online didn't uh, hear his question, but I hope I answered it for you or gave you. Andrew has another. And then we'll, then we'll go to our conclusion. Uh, we had another one texted in. If the goal is to bring everything back to the Garden of Eden, will the new Eden be different at all? Will the possibility of evil entering it in again be there? Um, this is my belief, so I, I'm going to say I believe, which might mean I'm wrong, but I believe evil will not be there. In the new creation, in the new Garden of Eden, in the new earth and the new heaven, evil will have been destroyed. We're told in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 20, the devil and his angels are cast into the lake of fire that burns forever. Very serious consequences and hugely regrettable. They did have a choice on their orbit, thank you, around this God of love. And they went out of orbit. And that's the consequence we know about. And it is simply a great truth. Um, so what was the question again, Andrew? If the goal is to bring everything back to the Garden of Eden, will the new Eden be different at yeah. all? Yeah, I think I've answered the question. Um, I, will it be different at all? I'm guessing it'll be a lot like the original. And one last point on, the, on the, the image of God. So we are image bearers. Then we're called to bear his name. And now we're being transformed into the image of Christ, which is really coming back to the original image. We are image bearers of God, Jesus being the ultimate image bearer and the name above all names. I wonder if um, I could invite you to stand. I'm just going to bring us to a close here. Um, I'd like to, to invite you to, to sort of take your Bible, whatever form it is, electronic or otherwise, and let's read this together. Um, you certainly don't need to read it. I'm, I'm certainly not wanting to make a, um, uh, a liar of you, but I think there are some sentences on here. They're simply a repeat of, our, of my main points, but I think it's an interesting collection or um, credo for us. So let's read it together. This is my Bible. I believe what it says. I am made in the image of God. I am made to bear the name of God. I am being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord of my life and all of creation. I am called to show his love to the world. As you stay standing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going in the name of the Lord.